I'm Sylvia Burgos Tofnes, and this is Deep Roots Radio. Every week, my guests help us connect the dots between what we eat and how it's grown because every single food dollar we spend either protects or degrades the environment, produces foods with high nutrition or empty calories, and either helps pay a fair wage or keeps farm workers among the working poor. We get to make that choice every time we push a cart through the grocery store, visit the farmer's market, and eat at a restaurant. I hope you enjoy this interview. And the hawthorn is a tree that is found in so many parts of the world. And it's a helpful tree. It provides blossoms and fruit that not only make up good jellies and jams and ketchup and even fruit leather, but can be used for heart health. So today we have our third conversation with Eagle Song, who is in the state of Washington, um, to help us understand Hawthorne as she has traveled the world to find beautiful Hawthorns all over. So good morning, Eagle Song. How are you? Hey, good morning, Sylvia. <laughs> At least I'm not as cold as you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Anybody in the world is probably warmer than we are. It's always fun f- to kind of take a look at the weather reports and realize that we're colder than Anchorage, Alaska, <laughs> and, and, and parts of Siberia. So, yeah, we, we have the extreme, but fortunately for us, the hawthorn oh, really? is a tree that can take it. <laughs> That's so true. Okay, so Eagle Song. Just to bring, let's say, uh, new listeners up to speed, Mm -hmm. the the Hawthorne, could you quickly describe for us what it is? Well, the Hawthorne is a tree, and and it actually pretty much goes around the northern latitudes. Um, I don't think it's much, I don't think it's below the equator unless it's been brought there by people. But natively, it grows in countries all around the northern latitude. So it's a very diverse genus of trees, the Crataegus genus, which I call the generative genus because she so cleverly um, puts herself comfortably into such diverse uh, environments. And so, yeah, so, so it's been used all over the world wherever it grows. People um, really have found ways to bring that tree into their daily living. And now we think of hawthorn in one way as a a plant or a tree that's really good for human hearts, heart health. Mm -hmm. But it also has a lot of other virtues that I think are um, really phenomenal in its journey through time and around the world. So, Eagle Song, if you uh, were looking at a hawthorn right now in front of you, how would you describe it so that someone who maybe is not familiar with it would uh, would <laughs> I recognize can't, it? I mean, I can't really just I I can describe the hawthorn right outside my door in the south hedge that actually still has red fruit hanging on it, but there are so many hawthorns to describe a hawthorn. One thing is. They're generally somewhere between six and I think the tallest hawthorn I've seen is about was about 40 feet tall. Mm-hmm. That's very tall for a hawthorn. Uh, they have fruit on them in the fall 
that can be anywhere from an orange color uh, all the way to black and red, all the reds and maroons in between there. So it's very diverse in its expression in the world as well. And the more I traveled and the more I got to see Hawthorne, the more I realized the Hawthorne's a lot like people, very diverse. Mm. Um, you know, there's tall people, short people, heavy people, thin people. And so it's a tree I can't really describe other than almost always they have thorn, uh, thorns. Rarely does a Hawthorne not have thorns. Okay, and the fruit that uh, we're speaking about is can be the size of a cranberry or larger. I was just in Mexico, and the Mexican hawthorn, Crataegus mexicana, the fruits are anywhere from an inch in diameter to two inches. Wow, man, I'd love one of those. Oh. Yeah, they're very interesting. <laughs> okay, so now you have pursued and have been an advocate and a lover of, of Hawthorne for decades. Um, and it's become so much of a, a focus and passion for you, as I understand it, that you have traveled the world to visit Hawthorne in its various places. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about that? Why have you traveled and where have you gone? <laughs> what have you seen? Wow. You know, that's, that's a, um, a great question. So I live in a valley where Hawthorne is uh, very, dom not dominant, but it predominant. It, it exists in the valley I live in from one end to the other, and it's a very diverse in its expression. So I've been harvesting Hawthorne for the last 25, 30 years up and down my valley. And as an herbalist, I was harvesting mostly for the heart health. But the more I harvested, the more I got to know the trees. And they're really interesting, interesting trees. And so when you have a round that you harvest as, a, as an herbalist, you get to know the plants if you're going into the wild to get plants um, to harvest. And for the forays, the trees started taking on very individual characteristics. They became friends to me in the sense that I was really glad to see them. And, and then I got older and I realized, um, you know, people were suggesting that we go to the lands where our ancestors came from so that we could um, know ourselves better. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother was born in England, so I, I took up that suggestion and went to England. And lo and behold, when I got to England, it was the 1st of May, May Day, which the Hawthorns called Mayflower in England and many places. And the, all the trees were in bloom. Mm. Well, if you can imagine green rolling landscape with hedges and rows of trees all through it, I think over 600,000 miles of hedgerow in England, and they were all blooming. Wow. So I took a train from London to Cropthorn Village, where my grandmother was born, and the whole way, all the haws were in bloom. It was like they laid out the white carpet for me. I was so um, just enamored by the beauty of the landscape and mm -hmm. the, the presence of this tree. So, so that was when I um, got to see Hawthorne. And Hawthorne's, the one that's used in medicine, in Western medicine, is 
thought, uh, or not thought to be, it's it's the Hawthorne that came from the British Isles. Mm. So Crataeus monogana, the one seeded Crataeus, um, is the dominant Hawthorne in the landscape in England. But there are others, uh, lots of others, actually, because Haw has this amazing capacity to cross-pollinate and, and create more uh, diversity within her, herself and within her species. Hmm. And so she also has an ability, which to me is one of the most fascinating parts of Hawthorne's um, capacity, is that she can actually create a new plant, a new species of plant, without pollination from another plant. How does that work? Well, it's a um, it's a process called apomixis, the botanical word. In animals, it's called parthogenesis. Mm. So, the ability to create a new species without another uh, species of plant to cross with is rare in nature. Pretty rare. She can do it. And so wherever you go, Hawthorns uh, have a lot of subtle differences that actually give them such an enormous amount of species within one genus. So how many species are there within Cretaceous? Well, that depends, depends on who you're talking to. <laughs> <laughs> Some people say a couple hundred. Um, there is an online resource called theplantlist.org. And they have listed six thousand, no, two thousand, around two thousand seven hundred species. Wow! Yeah. So now that we have such incredible access to information and database um, capacity and collection, I think we're going to be amazed at the the diversity on this planet. So, the hawthorn blossoms welcomed you home. In England. Oh, yeah. Which must have been just breathtaking. I can't even believe it. must have been like cherry blossom time in, in Japan, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, what, and what did you discover there when you took a look at the hawthorn that you found in England? Was it, an, was it a, a different kind of variety? Did it look somewhat different? Well, they're pretty similar all throughout England. Uh, and there's a lot of cultivars. You know, the English are amazing gardeners, and so they really love to <clears throat> create new plants using people methods rather than apple mixes. And so there are a lot of ornamental hawthorns in people's gardens and in public gardens. Mm. And so the the diversity is there, but the, the haws in the hedges are pretty much the monogana hawthorn or an, another one, Crataegus oxycantha. Um, and so the thing about it is that these hedges are like green highways in the landscape. And they're used by animals, by birds, by insects as routes to move around in a, a really what would you say? A very cultivated landscape. Isn't that There's not much wild. Well, there's not much wild in the world anymore, but there's hardly any wild in the British Isles. Right. And so this 
uh, network of hedges, what people have been finding is is that the that the animals use them just like we use the freeway to get around, to move, to migrate, to to go places they want to go. And so the hawthorn is a keystone species. I think this is an important term and one that we should all start to think about because I think people are also keystone species. Um, and that means that the, the hawthorn creates habitat wherever it grows, not just for herself, but for other species around her. So she provides food, shelter, medicine for many, many, many different kinds of animals, other plants, insects. And so this is a plant that promotes life. That's why I call hawthorn the generative species. Mm. You know that's and, and they're in hedges in England, but they like to grow in um, in groves. They like to, to she root runs and comes up, sends up new trees. She self sows with seed that generally passes through birds, and and so this is a plant that that's one of the reasons she's so fascinating to me because wherever I go find hawthorn. I find lots of life. Ah, well, that makes sense. And certainly we saw that on my farm. Yes, that's right. With the uh, different kinds of clusters of plants that we found in our the various uh, thickets of Hawthorne. So, England, where else have you gone? Well, I, I have made um, several trips to Europe now. I've been in Italy and France. And um, both those places also hold Hawthorn in high esteem. Not so much the general public, um, Sylvia. It's a lot like America. We have lost touch with nature mm. as, a, as, a, a, as a culture. And so people there are busy in their human-made world, and they don't have a lot of contact with the hedges. So most of the people that I visited really didn't have any idea what Hawthorne did or what it was used for. They just knew it bloomed in the spring, have fruit in the fall, and um, and that was about it. Didn't uh. really have much interaction. So the last trip, last spring, I was in England, and I just brought Hawthorne flowers. The place I stayed had a beautiful blooming Hawthorne right in the front when I got there, and I stayed at the same place for three weeks and then traveled around. And I just brought Hawthorne to all the people I visited. It's sort of like bringing coals to Newcastle. Yes. <laughs> but the people didn't know that they that their fire had gone out, so they were really happy to get the coals. Oh, wow. Isn't that interesting, though? I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up, although it's a sad fact. Uh, people losing contact with what's immediately around them. Um, it makes me think about how we need to, and I'll, and I'll say this personally myself, how we need to learn how to see again and how to observe things again. And, and sometimes that takes slowing down long enough to do it. It's so true. Wow. So true. Slowing down long enough to do it is uh, really what's needed to, to begin to reintegrate into the natural world for people. And yet, I most people 
actually, once they take that deep breath and walk back into the green, find it very um, rewarding. Yes, they do. They do. I've seen it on my pastures when I've had visitors. How they're yes. walking and talking and talking really fast, and all of a sudden they stop talking. And they take a breath, and they just look. Yes. And I can almost time it as they walk across the farm when it's going to happen. Because they, Isn't that interesting? Oh, like it just finally hits them. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing, amazing um, process, a step that I see with almost every visitor. And it's wonderful yeah. to see. It's wonderful to see. So you've been to Europe several times, England a number of times, and now, um, so where's the latest place that you landed and what did you find? Well, you know, this is fun that it's this time of the year that we're having this conversation because every year at the new year, I choose a word or maybe a word chooses me. And then I really don't know what that means, but last year my word that came was explore. And I had no idea at New Year last year that I would go to two different countries and drive over 10,000 miles around the western United States. And a lot of it was motivated by Hawthorne. Uh, I teach at herb conferences and I teach about herbs, uh, about Hawthorne a lot because it's such an interesting and diverse uh, genus. And she grows almost everywhere. So this last... um, Well, just in November, December, I was in Mexico, and two things motivated my trip. One was I was in Mexico when I turned 21, and I now am 71, so I wanted, it was like a 50-year reunion with a part of my life and a part of the world that I had enjoyed when I was younger. And so, but the other motivating factor was the Mexican hawthorn, the Crataegus mexicana. I'd been studying and reading, and I live in a, a town uh, where there's a very, very hardy population of people from Oaxaca. Mm. And Oaxaca holds uh, a, a lot of cultural tradition, a lot of agricultural tradition, and they also hold Crataegus mexicana very dearly in that they drink a punch from the Day of the Dead, October 31st, all the way through yesterday, which they call Three Kings Day. Right. Um, that is ponche season. And the it's a fruit punch. It's drunk, warm. It's a festive thing. You just wouldn't have... It wouldn't be the same without ponche in the winter. Well, there was a lot of Critegas Mexicana at the little tiendas here in Monroe, where I live in Washington State, and so I got very interested in. I wanted to see the tree growing in her own place. That meant I had to go to Mexico, and so I I landed in a little tiny village, um, Calpan, which is next to a volcano. And it's a central region of Crataegus growing in Mexico, and the trees were in full fruit. Mm. And the Crataegus mexicana is a beautiful, uh, larger, large, like a big crab apple, and it's orangey gold. It's so gloriously beautiful. 
to see these trees and they're very typical of of uh, hawthorn when the trees are fruiting and they're doing well the, they're loaded with fruit so it's very festive to see these trees in this high mountain region we were at over 6,000 feet because altitude the farther south you go on the planet the higher up you have to go to reach places where this kind of a tree would grow mm-hmm. you have to go to 10,000 feet in Mexico to see apples growing but they do grow quite a lot of apples in Mexico as well huh. all right so you see this beautiful fruit what did you find out about how people there use Hawthorne? Well, Calpan actually has a, a, what they call a feria, a fair that celebrates the Hawthorne. And so there I got to see, and I happened to be in the town the, the weekend of the fair, which was pretty exciting. And all these people come to, it's like a little, um, you know, like fairs they have in the Midwest and around um, in America that celebrate different things that happen close to that town and so people brought in um oh jams and jellies and cakes and puddings and just uh, ice cream um and poke they actually had fermented um tecote is the name of the plant of of the fruit tecote in spanish Mm. and all those ways that it could be enjoyed in uh, daily living Nobody thinks of it as a plant. Like, you would never think that apples, uh, besides if you eat an apple a day, it'll keep the doctor away. But nobody really thinks about apple as being a medicine. Right. And and hawthorns have really pushed my understanding of, you know, what really is medicine? To the limits, actually. Well, maybe not to the limits, although I have been suffering when I, I've recognized the poverty of my imagination because every time I go somewhere or learn more about this tree, it's like, wow, I had no idea. And mm. that's what I call the poverty of my imagination because it always is more than I thought it was. And I think that that's a great part of Hawthorne's magic and medicine is that she is showing me how much more is in our world than we think and by really readjusting our vision we can see what's really here you know it this takes me to a kind of a a, an associated discussion that we could have for about 15 hours i think eagle song (laughs) which is about um how different how different herbalism and food is medicine is from conventional or allopathic medicine and i'm getting i'm getting a ringing in my ears here hold on a second um and it's because each of these herbs or fruits have so many components have so many different kinds of compounds and volatile oils and um enzymes that they can actually provide us with this amazing banquet of benefit right which is different from allopathic medicine, which is where you've got a single drug for a single issue. Well, that's a that's a narrow. Um, allopathic just means that you use the opposite thing to treat something, and and in some ways, it's very useful. Yes, it is in some ways. 
and and modern medicine has incredible virtues and so i i don't like to compare them really because they're not comparable it's like comparing your children you, you can't really do that so they're, di- they're <laughs> yeah. just different yes exactly and that's where i think our beginning to adjust our vision of the world has to start right there that that when we compare things we are already going down a, a pathway that's going to lead us to trouble mm. good point and so w- when we start to recognize things for what they are and notice the differences and the similarities and how we can use different things in different ways i think that we get a little bit more attenuated to uh living uh what i would call well-lived life because we certainly need we certainly need modern medicine and we certainly need an environment that helps us to live but that takes me in my mind to a place that's really not that's very close to the midwest it's a it's a um the island manitoulin island in lake huron Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe people who are listening have been there. It's quite a remarkable island. It's the largest island in the world in a body of fresh water. Mm. And I had occasion to go to Manitoulin Island for a couple different reasons, but one of them was that there's an endemic hawthorn that grows on Manitoulin. And endemic means it doesn't grow anywhere else in the world. It only grows there. And the people on Manitoulin Island are called, well, actually, to get this um, recognition, people who are born on Manitoulin Island are called haw eaters. Mm. That's how important this fruit is to the people of that island. And, of course, it was, um, you know, settled by First Peoples for eons of time and then Europeans came and and the Europeans said of the Hawthorne it was famine food hmm. that you only ate it when, when there were famine conditions and I have a friend from Finland and she said she laughs every time she hears that term because the foods that settlers um, call famine foods are actually the foods of the people <laughs> right and and so the hawthorn um it's still made into jelly people still use it it's a big product on manitoulin island uh you know it's kind of one of those celebrated um unique plants that grows in that region like places are known for their apples or their other kinds of, of asparagus or something like that. Well, Manitoulin Island, and to me, the idea that um, this gnarly old tree that lives very long life, has very hard wood, is, um, is seen on that island as a food that's been celebrated through eons of time, uh, not by some people as a famine food, but as a part of their everyday diet, that's something that helped them get through the hard times of winter. As you know, right now at eight below zero, it can get pretty darn cold and the hawthorns are there all around you. And they hold their fruit a long time. So it would also be considered a famine food just because the fruit hangs on the tree and can be um, 
harvested in the winter by animals or people as needed. You know, Eagle Song, we've come to the end of our chat. I cannot believe it. <laughs> and there's still so much to cover, I think. Where can people go to find out more? How could people get more information from you? Well, I tell you what, um, for, for listeners in your area, I will be teaching Hawthorne at the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference in May. And I have a website, eaglesong-gardener.com, that um, is, uh, celebrates classes and teachings here in Washington State. And then there's hardyhawthorne.com, which is where different... Um, Oh, different things about Hawthorne are showing up there more and more through time, but also different products that I make, uh, mm. the Hawthorns that grow um, around me, and also some world travelers of Hawthorne are starting to come into my very small product realm, but just bringing Hawthorne to people's awareness is uh, what I love to do. So those are three ways that people can find me and and hopefully people in the midwest will see me at the midwest women's herbal conference well thank you so much eagle song i, I uh, thank you so much for these three conversations that you've had with us on deep roots radio and i wish you well in your future travels visit my website bronxtobarn.com to download this and past interviews to learn about my farm, and to reserve 100% grass-fed beef. We deliver to Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks.